friends, and welcome to Conversations with Consequences. We are the ladies of the Catholic Association, bringing you witty and charming in-depth conversation on the topics that matter to you with the leading thinkers and movers of our time. Conversations with Consequences is part of the EWTN Global Catholic Radio Network. Our radio show is always a podcast, and you can listen by going to thecatholicassociation.org slash podcasts, or you can just go directly to wherever you listen to your podcasts. I'm your hostess, Dr. Gracie Christie. This week we are embracing the season of Advent. We are filled with joyful hope as we are every year at the coming of our Lord. For me, this is this is a somewhat difficult year. My father died after a valiant struggle with ALS. He died on the 3rd of December and we buried him on the 10th. He had a beautiful mass and that was very comforting, but we are missing him very badly. This is going to be very sad Christmas for us because we'll constantly be looking around for his beautiful smile and his uncomplaining tenderness that he accompanied us with when he had nothing else that he could give us, which was just, he gave us his love and his uh, total appreciation for a, a wonderful life that God gave him, his faith for his family. So it's going to be a hard Christmas in that sense. So many people are suffering in that same way with uh, facing Christmas, which is a time of joy, but with a heaviness in their hearts. We've asked Catholic psychologist Dr. Gregory Popchak to discuss with us techniques and, and other other kinds of ways to approach what should be complete joy, but is sometimes lined with sadness this, this Christmas season. He has I know uh, very good advice for us. He always has wonderful advice. But first, I'm happy to have my TCA colleagues, Maureen Ferguson and Ashley McGuire, joining me to discuss how we can truly embrace Advent and Christmas in a way that's Christ-centered, centered around the right things, around family and and Christ, and uh, not so much on the other things that distract us. Always wonderful to have my co-hostesses on with me. Welcome to the show, Maureen and Ashley. Great to be on with you, Gracie. Always great to be with both of you. I thought it'd be wonderful to have both of you on uh, and to talk about Advent and Christmas and how we can meet the challenges of Advent and Christmas in the best way. And that's a strange way to set the table, right? To say the challenges of Christmas and Advent, but let's be realistic and we can use statistics to back us up. 88% of Americans report that the that the Christmas season is the most stressful time of the year. That's actually really sad when you stop and think about it. It ought to be the fabulous time of the year, the time when we're expecting our Lord and that whole encounter of God with his people restarts again, right? Like we keep we keep re-encountering it and replaying it and, and re-celebrating it and it sets us up for the whole following year. The liturgical year starts in Advent. It ought to be just all joy and welcome, and it's not quite. Right, and, and going into Advent every year, I feel like it's the same struggle, and we we know what we need to do. We just need to set a time, set aside that time for prayer and contemplation so that we can tackle the busyness of the season. But just every year, it is such a struggle, and I think if we just start by at least recognizing the struggle and, I don't know, for me, just begging for the grace and the discipline to take that time for prayer in the morning to kind of set the table for everything else during the day. Well, and I think it's so important to sort of reclaim the season from our late stage capitalist culture, <laughs> uh, which which weirdly insists on both stifling anything, any sort of overt religious display, and then, you know, basically culturally appropriating our religious holiday as an excuse for consumption. Mm. But, you know, just going back and remembering that the Christmas story, the story of the nativity is one of extreme humility and simplicity, and that it was enough for our Lord to be born in a manger. And, you know, just remembering that if that was enough for him, especially our, you know, I think sometimes we overthink what our children need um, and what I think they need first and foremost is for their home to be at peace 
And so it, I mean, to me, that's the real struggle of Advent in our culture is sort of struggling to reclaim the sort of <clears throat> the true virtues and, and the, the values and the things that we were celebrating, which are and many times feel like they're at complete odds with the way the season is currently celebrated. And I think you're right, Ashley, to set it up as a battle against the consumer culture that all of us are swimming in and we're breathing it into our lungs. And in many ways, we've assimilated that into our our style of life, our lifestyle. And, and around Christmas, I saw that in, in rather a shocking way when I moved to the United States at the age of 12 because Christmas in our culture the gift giving was gift giving was done on the 6th of January with the three kings so it was we were able to sort of focus away from from toys and gifts and and put that later um, at the end of the Christmas season almost at the end and and so the day of Christmas Christmas Eve and Christmas Day were entirely religious in nature and spiritual and family and really in that order it was religious and spiritual and then family because now even when people are very devoted to christmas eve and christmas days most people are taking that time to to celebrate their families which is a wonderful thing but we just did it in thanksgiving we can do it anytime and the religious aspect of it that that great awesome encounter with jesus is lost in the shuffle of eating and, and enjoying our families, which I'm always for. I'm always for eating and enjoying our families. Right, because it, it is a real tension between finding ways to simplify and properly celebrating with our families and how do we celebrate you know so frequently our celebrations do center around food my husband is half italian so the christmas eve tradition of the seven fishes is it's a big deal and you know he loves to go big on the seven fishes so wait maureen real tension maureen what are the i'm sorry what are the seven fishes you have to tell us it's really a southern a southern italian cultural thing that on christmas eve you have to eat seven fishes so um and i think because in southern italy in particular they're um so reliant on seafood so so we we prepare you know a crab dip or sauteed shrimp or we put lobster in the macaroni and cheese and then maybe we have baked cod or so it's a big challenge for all the kids it's just a fun thing on christmas eve to you're supposed to eat seven fishes on mm. christmas eve i love that and we, you can see how something like that would be so pretty when in by when it's ensconced right it's perfectly pretty when it's ensconced in the bigger picture right. of Christmas and doesn't stand all on its own. Right. So we have all these traditions, but yet it's a lot of effort to pull off seven fishes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but speaking of traditions, I think that, you know, one thing that I've tried to do is each year reincorporate a religious tradition into the way our family celebrates the beginning of Advent through the end of Christmas. So we get everything wrong in, the, in, in our culture. Like, for example, Christmas Day is the beginning of the Christmas season. Exactly. Um, and, and really, for a long time, people didn't even put up their trees until it was basically Christmas. But so many people now, they take their trees down. Like the next day, they're throwing them on the mm-hmm. curb. But you you reminded me, Gracie, about the Epiphany. A couple years ago, I started doing a small gift on the Epiphany. And I think, you know, you can, it can feel overwhelming to try and, like, correct the ship in your home in terms of, Sell, you know, reincorporating these these traditions that actually give the meaning um, and ground our families, you know, tether them to the meaning of the season. Um, so I've I've found it helpful to just do one at a time. And a, a great guide is to just sit down and look at from the beginning of Advent through the end of Christmas tide, the different feast days and saint days, and using them to incorporate little traditions. Another example, uh, my family's half Swedish. So uh, we've done some celebrating of St. Lucy's feast day, Mm -hmm. um, which was, you know, is, is a popular uh, celebration in in Sweden and, and doing a small little gift on the epiphany, um, little things like that, that just sort of a practical way to um, reincorporate the, the religious meaning back into a holiday that's become highly secularized. You know, I'm so glad you mentioned the feast days because there are so many from the Feast of Our Lady of Guadalupe to the Immaculate Conception, you know, the Feast of the Holy Innocents afterwards and and really 
celebrating and having, um, you know, contemplation around those is such a good idea. But you know what, I would love to get practical ladies. What are some of your tips to simplify? And uh, I have a friend who in her family, she has this rule of four. She has, I think, seven children. So for each of her children, she gets them four gifts for Christmas. It's one that you need, one that you want, one that you wear, and one to read. So it's a book. Um, And I, I always thought, I would love to simplify in that way, but I don't know. In in one sense, that makes it more complicated um, to kind of get categories like that, you know, fit your gifts into the categories. Ashley, I see you're, you're chuckling at that. <laughs> yeah, I, I have a much simpler approach. I guess you call it the rule of one. Our kids get one <laughs> gift from us. That's wow. it. And you know what? I stopped doing stockings because the stockings are basically like seven, eight, nine, ten little gifts. And those are the most stressful is finding like little things that aren't garbage. So our kids get one nice gift from us. Um, they get a small gift from Santa. So I guess it's really two. And they always end up having so many other things because they get gifts from grandparents, gifts from friends. Somehow our tree is always exploding, um, even with us just giving one meaningful gift. And I'm, I've never looked back. Instead, we put money for charity in their stockings and maybe a little candy. And then we let the kids decide who they want to give that money to. Sometimes they put it in the poor box. Sometimes they give it to somebody in the street. Um, sometimes they, they pick a charity that they heard about or saw that they want to give it to, but um, money in the stockings and one gift from us. And it's made my life infinitely easier. I have to say in our family, we're along the Ashley um, idea and we, we were very, very spare gift givers amongst ourselves. Um, of course, our youngest now is 15, so that's easier. But we, we did notice years ago that if Santa Claus brought three or four gifts per child and then the grandparents gave each child, because it's so much fun to buy toys for children, right? You go to Toys R Us and you have your little list um, or your toy store, whatever that is. You go with your little list and you, you can, for $10 a kid as a grandparent or as an aunt or uncle, you can buy all these cute little things. But your children at that point are inundated with gifts and they don't even know where to lay their hand they can't even they don't even have the time to open them they're not even interested (laughs) in opening the gifts and you find yourself opening the gifts yourselves anyway a long time ago we got super simple about gifts and that just makes a lot more sense right i i also for friends and family i tend to buy i'll find one pretty little piece of jewelry not real jewelry obviously and i'll buy 10 of them and I'll hand those all out to uh, nieces and, and sister-in-laws. That helps too. Like, I don't know, maybe I'm just a miserable gift giver, but I like to, it, it, it really complicates me when I, when I think I have to find something special for each person in my life. <laughs> maybe mm-hmm. that's just, maybe I'm just giving myself away on the air, but I like to, I like to be, and I, and as I get older, I think, well, yeah, that's, it's better use of my time and attention during Advent to think about the things that matter than, you know, finding the spectacular gift for each person on my list, which ends up being big if you have a large family. Mm-hmm. And and definitely the emphasis on gift giving with kids is so important. And I mean, I find that we're really overflowing uh, with gifts on Christmas morning in part because our kids do love to give gifts to each other, the sibling gifts. Oh. And, and um, you know, it's very, they pick out meaningful meaningful things for each other. And our youngest is brilliant at um, homemade gifts and, you know, she'll write a poem for them or um, it's really very sweet. And, you know, Ashley, to your, to your point about putting money in their stockings, I love that idea. Um, We've done this in the past. I should bring this back, but um, we've had them pick out from a a catalog. I think it was world vision. We used to do um, and they would pick out, you know, purchasing a chicken for a family or a goat or a cow. Um, and we would, we would literally cut out the pictures from the magazine and, and wrap them up. I do have one simple mom hack that, uh, if you are a, a multiple gift giving family, um, I never wrap gifts because I have gift bags, Christmas gift bags that I reuse from year to year. They get popped right back in the bin with my um, Christmas decorations. So we, the kids take things out of the gift bag and I take the gift bag and fold it and put it behind the chair. And so, so I'm never up late wrapping gifts on Christmas Eve. Um, that's my that's my little mom hack. That's so much um, less wasteful too. I mean, something that's hard to see on Christmas morning is all the waste. 
Um, and you know, all the plastic and the packaging and the paper, and, you know, we always end up taking out multiple bags upon bags of trash and that always sort of pains me a little bit. So I think, you know, it's still a Christian virtue to find ways to be a little more, you know, a little less wasteful. Let's talk about ways that all of us, uh, and I'll start us off if you like, but let's talk about ways that all of us can recenter Christmas around the Christ story, around the nativity, around Bethlehem, the manger, and all the wonders that happened that night. In our house, one thing we started doing some years ago that we really love, and everyone loves it, there's two things actually, and they, they work together, is on our Christmas Eve night, which is our big night, um, Hispanics celebrate Noche Buena, which is called the good night, and we celebrate, the, it's the Christmas Eve, it starts late, and many people go to midnight mass after, straight out of that. Um, and what we do is we have caroling, and so we, we make, um, we have these uh, books of the songs, and we, we choose all the religious songs and the hymns in Spanish and English, and my husband can play the piano, and people love caroling on Christmas Eve, and it's such a pretty thing to do, and you actually do, it's catechesis. You're reading about all the things that happened on that night, and the angels, and, the, and the, all the things, all the things that we need to know, and that the children need to know. And, uh, and also we've done, and I'm not sure we'll do it this year because we're running out of little kids, a nativity play. Very simple, very put together at the last minute uh, with a short script, but people love that, especially if you have doting parents and grandparents and aunts and uncles because you get to see the children um, have their moment to shine on, on, a, on a fake stage. So we, those things are, we, they're not professional events, <laughs> we, but everybody has so much fun, and I think it's very catechetical, very apostolic. Mm -hmm. And of course, adoration is, um, it's always beautiful if you can work in time for adoration. I'm so grateful our church made us sign up recently for adoration, so I had to commit. Mm -hmm. um, and then, you know, just making sure we all get to confession during Advent, of course, is um, something that sounds so simple, but it's often challenging and finding ways to do something charitable as a family, either, you know, volunteering at a soup kitchen or um, something along those lines to get our, to get our kids focused on, on um, the less fortunate. Um, one little tradition that was the tradition that I added in this year was uh, a little homemade um, chain and I had my kids each, you know, we count out the number of days in Advent, divided it up by three. And my kids are younger, so this is maybe better for littler kids. Um, wrote prayer intentions. And then every day when we have dinner as a family, um, we open one of them. And it just gives kids a way to feel like they're um, involved in the sort of prayerful nature of Advent. That's beautiful. I love that. And you're right about confession. Uh, somebody, I think the priest yesterday in, in our Mass, our daily Mass, mentioned how important it is to go to confession during Advent. We could bring a friend. I mean, I go to confession with regularity, so I never I never think I should go, especially for Advent. But a lot of people uh, don't go to confession except once or twice a year. And what a, I, I think that would be a really good idea, right, to, to say, um, make a little list of friends and, and start, you know, saying, oh, let's go on Monday to confession. And see how many, see how many bite, right? Yeah, no, it's great to invite people to do that. And often, you know, extended family members who are in from out of town, it's a good idea. And, you know, one little tradition that we did when our children were littler, and I've actually let it fall by the wayside, but I should bring it back is, and probably a lot of our listeners are familiar with this one, but um, putting a pile of straw by your um by your creche and whenever you sort of you know do a you know charitable act for your sibling or help you know unload the dishwasher without being asked little little good deeds to put a piece of straw in the manger now on christmas morning we always make a point of uh you know not running straight to the tree but rather to go straight to the manger and you know we all get on our knees we sing happy birthday actually to baby jesus and put jesus in in the manger on that little bed of straw um that you know hopefully is plush due to all the good deeds during advent and and just another small thing for our listeners um that i didn't know i i grew up in a Protestant home, and this wasn't the tradition, but it's a small way to make your crash um, sort of more of a catechesis opportunity. But 
um, you know, I, my five-year-old last night was all frustrated. He was like, why are the wise men over here that they weren't over at the scene? But little things like keeping the baby Jesus, you know, we hide it um, and putting it in on Christmas morning um, because we're waiting for the baby Jesus, putting the, you know, moving the wise men. You could have like your littlest child be tasked with every day, move them a little bit closer because they're journeying. Um, but the crush, I do think, you know, we have, uh, two crushes, one that's sort of quote unquote kid friendly, because I do think it's, it's sweet the way that kids like to play with the crush, but it stresses me out when it's like breakable. <laughs> so we have a, a wooden one that's a little bit lower that we let the kids play with and then a nicer one, but the crush can be a very nice way to uh, teach little lessons about the, the, the calendar of, of Advent and Christmas. I was, I was at the, I was in Little Havana very recently, a couple of weeks ago, and I went into one of I went into a Cuban pharmacy, which sell you know it's a, a longstanding uh, business here in Miami, and they sell all the Cuban staples along with everything else. But you can always find Cuban things there and Hispanic things. Anyway, I wanted to buy. I almost bought a life size inflatable Jesus, Mary, and Joseph. I had it in my hands, and I for the outdoors, and I went up to the t- the counter, and then I didn't buy it. I'm still tempted to go back for it. It was unbearably tacky, but it was well priced, and it was it was so there was something so cool and um, like based about it. Like you know what? It's Christmas and I'm tacky and and I'm gonna inflate my Jesus, Mary, and Joseph. And it made me think about the way we decorate the outside of our houses for Christmas, and how that can also be a way to be more Christ-centered, right? Like. Um, it's hard to find pretty decorations outside that have to do with 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 the with the crush, and and then it's expensive too. So I found I found one thing that I that I do have from last year. I bought one of those laser sh- light shows. They're only like twenty five dollars online, and it and it and it puts laser lights on your house. And one of the inserts are scenes from the manger, which is very pretty, and it just does that all night long. I have scenes of the manger on my on my house. What do you guys do on the outside? Um, if anything, I, I I do have a beautiful little outdoor crèche. It's it's rather small, but it's some sort of stone, and I found it years ago at a gardening store, and and it's really pretty. I love putting that out. Oh, lucky you! I would love a beautiful one. <laughs> they're also expensive. I go online, and they're like two thousand dollars. I'm like, what? <laughs> yeah, they, I mean, this one's little. It wasn't nearly that expensive. <laughs> um, my. The new neighborhood that I live in is very festive and it's also very Catholic, but um, my daughter and I go for walks almost every day and we like to rate houses based on their Christmas decorations. And uh, I'm laughing because we always give an automatic a certain number of points for the crush. Um, nice. But there are, there's a lot of beautiful crushes. Um, but interestingly, I recently got into kind of a debate with somebody about Christmas wreaths and if they're really Christmassy. And there's this weird sort of trend to argue that Christmas, really it was Christians who appropriated pagan holidays. Oh, yes, uh, I've heard that and, said. I think it's, I think there's people who want to celebrate Christmas, but they don't want to be associated with Christmas. And it is true that throughout Christianity, we've, you know, found ways to take pagan holidays uh, and incorporate them into the faith. But I did learn a lot about the history of reeds and and in learning about this because of this ongoing debate I was having with somebody. Um, in doing that, I learned a lot about the different symbolism and meanings of so many of the different things, many of which did have pagan origins, like the Christmas tree, for example. So the, the wreaths were popularized by the Germans who were very resourceful and against waste. And so they took, they were very, the Christmas tree uh, its symbolism is the Trinity and the, that's the three points. So they were very sort of purposeful about uh, accentuating those three points of the tree. And they would take the trimmings when they trimmed the tree mm. and take the excess and wove them into a wreath, which symbolizes eternity and, you know, the eternal life and, and the evergreen being, you know, an everlasting life. Um, but I do think there's so much interesting richness to all of our different Christmas traditions. And I never knew that about the tree. Um, never knew that about the wreath. So I, I just, when I hung our Christmas wreath this year, I thought this is very interesting. And, you know, I, I wonder if there's good books out there that I know there's a lot of websites, but, um, good books that, 
uh, can teach us more about the different symbolism and meaning in our in the many different things that we um, use to decorate for Christmas. You know, speaking of books, one of my favorite Christmas books is Bill Bennett has a book called The True St. Nicholas. And it's just a great little fun historical account of the real St. Nicholas, um, which I think is really important for all of our kids to know about. Um, and, you know, we also have had our younger ones memorize the full Twas the Night Before Christmas. We have a beautiful book Um uh, it, beautiful illustrations of uh, Twas the Night Before Christmas and and several of our kids throughout the years have memorized the whole thing and recited it for us and that's fun and one of our favorite ways to sort of be still in the silence around Christmas is to have a family reading time um, in which we just light a fire and everybody snuggles up you know usually in their pajamas um, and we just have quiet time and everybody just has a book and um, it's so nice to just sort of stop everything and everyone in the house is just sitting around reading. That's one of our favorite um, Christmas traditions. Well, ladies, you guys make me wish that I were spending Christmas with you, <laughs> each one of you and my family all at the same time. If we could be in, in several places, it sounds like you have beautiful Christmases and beautiful Advents and, and Advents and Christmases that are thoughtful and centered on all the right things. And, and I'm sure all our listeners do too. I hope that some of these ideas and reflections will, will help our, our listeners um, enjoy some of these wonderful traditions that the two of you especially have. You've, you've given us such, such pretty ideas. So thank you very much for joining us. And, and I wish both of you a very happy rest of Advent and Christmas, which begins again on Christmas Day, um, and lots of joy with your families. Thanks, Same Gracie. To you, Good Gracie. to be on with you. Yeah, I'm, I'm inspired to go more simple this year. Thanks, ladies. Every morning, the Catholic Association reviews all the latest news and sends our subscribers a carefully curated collection of the most important news of the day. Items are specifically selected for a smart Catholic audience like you. Don't let the world take you by surprise. Subscribe to our daily media roundup at thecatholicassociation.org. Conversations with Consequences. I'm your hostess, Dr. Gracie Christie, and I'm very glad to have Dr. Greg Popchak back with us today. He is the host of the EWTN radio show, which airs daily, called More to Life, and also heads Catholic Counselors, um, a group of um, wonderful Catholic counselors for all sorts of uh, therapeutic needs that, that that you can that you might have all across uh, the country because um, they can be accessed by Zoom, and um, they're uh, really a group of wonderful, wonderful therapists. So welcome to the show, Dr. Popchak. Thanks for having me, Dr. Popchak. I referred earlier in the show in my in my introduction to the fact that my father died about uh, ten days ago. You know, there's so much to talk about when it comes to grief, but I thought that maybe you could help us through me and other people that are suffering like I am with this with with a very natural grief like the loss of a father sure. and some other griefs that are that are harder than that to bear even but that are suffering this during Advent and Christmas which I think adds um, a level of difficulty of course and I'm so sorry for your loss oh, your thank dad, you your whole family and our prayers here but you know you're right I mean Grief over the holidays is especially difficult. It's never easy, but but at a time like this, a season like this, it's it's especially painful. Um, and I guess there there are two things that I think are important to hold on to. Um, the the first one is that is to look at what grief actually is. Most people think that grief is about letting go, but it's really not. Grief is the process of finding healthy ways to stay connected to the person that we've lost. Hmm. You know, we when we talk, uh, you know, we kind of hate to use this term, but when 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 we talk about somebody successfully grieving, what what that really means is not that they've let go of the person, it's not that they've moved on, it's that they've found ways to to still feel emotionally and spiritually connected to that the person that meant so much to them while they were alive, and you can do that in certain activities. You can do that by recognizing the things you've learned from them. You know, the the, the character strengths or virtues you picked up from being 
around them uh, by certain rituals that you continue to participate in that, the, that were always meaningful to them. There are lots of different ways to do it. But, you know, a lot of people, you know, they, they get stuck in the grief because they don't realize that it's meant to kind of stay connected in a healthy way. And so they find unhealthy ways to stay connected. They, you know, they just see the image of that person in the coffin or they just, you know, stand and see the image over at the, at the gravesite over and over again, or they, those last moments of that person's life. And, and that becomes the representation of, of everything that person was to them, which of course isn't true. But, you know, then we get stuck on that. And so being able to kind of pull back and say, you know, how do I stay connected to this person's life? How do I, how do I maintain that relationship? And of course, as Catholics, we recognize that, that we can continue to ask them to pray for us and to pray for them as well and, and be in conversation, you know, with them. I, my, my dad passed away a while ago and I, you know, I, I still ask him to pray for me every day and, and I pray for him every day and we, we talk, you know, <laughs> and he is, he's, he's very much alive in Christ and I feel his presence in my life. And being able to maintain that connection in, in important ways is number one. The second thing I would say, you know, um, especially during the holidays, you know, we, we often feel guilty or resentful that we don't feel what we're supposed to feel, right? We're supposed to be joyful at Christmas, aren't we? We're supposed to have, you know, joy to the world and all that. And what if I don't? What if I don't feel joyful? Is that okay? And the answer, of course, is yes, because it's not about being joyful. It's about allowing Christ to become incarnate in whatever your experience is. But Jesus didn't, didn't, the Word of God did not become man so that we could have a party all the time. He, he became man so that he could experience what we were experiencing and, and come into the middle of that and consecrate it and make it holy. And so whatever we're going through in this Christmas season, the best way to celebrate it is not by pretending to be something that we're not, but by asking Christ to come into the middle of it and bless it and show us how to respond to it in a way that glorifies him. So if you're feeling sad or you're feeling anxious or you're grieving or you're angry or whatever it is, to, to, to bring God into the middle of it and say, Lord, I'm just so hurting right now. I'm so angry. I'm so sad. I'm so whatever. And, and I, I show me how to respond to all of this in a way that will glorify you, that will help me be my best self, that, that will help you shine out of me in, in all of this. I don't know how to do it, but show me. And that's a, it's a powerful and a beautiful prayer that, that, that allows you to be honest with God and God to be incarnate in your life uh, in, in, in deeper ways. One of the things I found difficult, because many of the things you said resonate with me, but I can also understand the difficulty of moving towards those uh, that beautiful relationship with our beloved, right? And it's and it's this process. You're walking through the valley of the shadow of death, in a sense. And you know, because you've been alive for a while, and you understand that there will be a time when you will be able to remember your beloved without so much pain uh, and so much longing to see their face, uh, as as you just saw it so recently. There's this feeling of well, there's a there's a way I ought to be grieving, or a a, a path which I ought to be taking, and then a speed at which I ought to be doing this. And that's. To me, it's been frustrating, especially around Christmas. Does that does that ring a bell for you? Well, if, if I'm understanding you correctly, you know that we have to be patient with ourselves and and let it take the time it takes. You know, mm -hmm. I mean, the, the, I don't know. We we want to do everything on a schedule. We want to have all of our schedule <laughs> and have all of all the uh, messy bits all tied up in a neat little bow. And, and maybe to, Christmas, the adv Advent and Christmas makes us want to be more on schedule and say, you know, like you were saying, it's time to yeah. be joyful now. Now I can put this aside because now it's time to be joyful. And that's, it's hard just to, to, to want to do it and then be able to do it. It doesn't seem something that's so easily grasped. Yeah, and so, right, exactly. And so you need to give yourself time to really figure out what this all does mean. And, um, you know, I, I remember we, we lost our first child um, on December 16th. You know, two weeks before Christmas, and and mm. or a week and a half, and it was it was it was awful, and we didn't really feel like celebrating. So there, so what we did, I mean, we we did maintain the rituals that were important to us. We we got the tree, we did some basic decorating and some basic baking, but we you know we just really allowed ourselves to feel what we felt and kept bringing that to God. We looked for little ways to stay connected to that child and, and even make that child part of our celebrations. It was a very different Christmas than we were used to having, but it was it was still beautiful and. Uh, and, and very meaningful for us, and it was what it needed to be, mm -hmm. you know. And I think that, that that it's we need to give ourselves permission to to feel what we're feeling and let this season be what it needs to be, instead of forcing it to be something that it's not. And what about the fact that the that our grief may be, may help us experience the season even better? Because let me quote back to you something you wrote on your on your website, CatholicCounselors.com. You wrote a, a beautiful piece called "Where Is God in Suffering." And it says, you wrote, although it can be tremendously hard to find God when we're in pain, we discover that God is imminently, superabundantly omnipresent in our experience of suffering. 
Expand on that, Dr. Popchak. Yeah, and that's a rough that's a rough idea for us to all wrap our heads around. But you know, we we have this tendency to think that you know, the way it's supposed to be is perfect all the time, and then when it's not r- perfect, then God clearly dropped the ball, and then that makes mm-hmm. us angry. But the funny thing is, there's actually nothing in our Christian story that supports that idea. Really, you know, the Christian story is that every, because of the fall, everything is supposed to be awful all the time. It's, mm-hmm. suppo- I mean, it's supposed to be terrible and, and miserable all the time. And the only reason it's not is because God is mercifully and generously pulling order out of the chaos, healing out of the pain, peace out of all the, the, the hurt. Anything good that happens is because God is making it happen as a way of saying, I love you and I want to restore the order. And so the pain that we're in, you know, as soon as we experience any sense that there should be more or that I could make more out of this or that, that God wants to use this to, to do something positive in my life, that, that's not me coming up with that. That's God, that's the Holy Spirit being present to me in my pain, saying, take my hand, I want to lead you through this. And so we need to hold on to that idea that, that you know, that God hasn't abandoned us because we're experiencing pain or suffering. It, it's that, that the world is pain and suffering and that God is always in his mercy and love leading us out of it. And so there is a promise there that there is more and that he wants to lead us to what that more is. I've been experiencing that in, in a way that's been surprising to me is I've been feeling God's caresses since my father died. I feel I feel like God's sending me little reminders of his presence, of his care through other people, through things that people say to me, through inspirations at Mass, um, even through the readings at Daily Mass, I think, oh, well, <laughs> God planned for me to hear this verse right now, today, because I'm feeling sad and I'm feeling lonely without my Father. How can we open ourselves even more to those little caresses from God when we're grieving? Yeah, again, by realizing that, that everything that's good that happens is a hug from God. Mm-hmm. And, you know, God is constantly, it's not just coincidence, it's not just luck, it's not just, oh, that was a nice thing. God created that particular order out of the chaos for you. God brought about that joyful or peaceful moment because he loves you. Uh, it wasn't supposed to go that way, except for his mercy and his love for you. And and so when we experience those little things, whether it's, you know, something silly like getting a, a parking spot close to the <laughs> grocery store entrance or <laughs> or something big, you know, we, we take a moment to praise God and say, you know, thank you for saying you love me. Uh, and and for giving me that 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 consolation in in this really difficult time. And thanks for for finding a little ways to let me know that that you still care about me and that it's going to be okay. Mm. And maybe it it turns our grief, uh, parts of our grief at least, into thankfulness and gratefulness to God, right? And elevates our 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 spirit. Well, yeah, and you know, St. Paul talks about the importance of making a sacrifice of praise, and then when we're grieved, it's a sacrifice because we don't feel like doing it, right? I mean, the, the last time we feel like praising God is when we feel awful or when we're grieving. And the thing is, you know, God doesn't need our praise. He doesn't need anything from us, but 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 he asks us to make that sacrifice of praise, you know, especially when we don't feel like it, as a way of reminding ourselves of his mercy, of his of His faithfulness, of his providence, uh, of, of his grace. When we praise God for those little blessings, we praise God for all the ways that God has been present to us in the past and delivered us in the past. We remind ourselves that, that God is still present to us and still working in our lives and working through us and leading us to that better place. And, and we need to just be confident in that. And so, so making that sacrifice of praise as you're talking about it isn't meant to just put a, slap a smiley face on our suffering. It's meant to remind us of God's presence in our suffering. Dr. Popchak, many people, maybe it's a universal feeling, when they're grieving the death of a loved one, they feel remorse. They feel remorseful for little details of attention that they might have been too busy to do or a phone call they didn't make, um, some patient some some patient gesture that they might have. I think this is universal because people, I hear this from people all the time when they lose someone they love. They say, oh, if only I had... X, Y, or Z. I have a daughter who lives, a married daughter who lives in London, and she would call my father very often, many times a week, but she's sad that she didn't call him more often. <laughs> I'm trying, but all of us are feeling like that. What What do you say to those natural, what I think are natural feelings of remorse and grief? They are, but but I think that's, that's, that goes to what I was saying in the, in the first point, that those become the ways we try to stay connected. You know, so I miss the connection, so I think of all the ways that I missed connecting with them while they were alive. Mm. And, and so instead of looking for ways that I can stay connected in healthy ways, we can become obsessed with, with the, those opportunities to connect 
that we missed when they were alive. And so, I, you know, I, I, I think that's actually a desolation. You know, St. Ignatius of Loyola talked about consolations that come from the Holy Spirit versus desolations, which are really temptations from the evil one to, to try to pull us away from what God wants us to do. And there's nothing to be gained by, by dwelling in that kind of regret. Uh, and and what, what we need, you know, and what, what Satan is really trying to do in those times is pull us away from making healthy connections with that person who's still very much alive in Christ. And so, you know, by, by kind of redirecting ourselves and saying, you know, how, how can I stay connected to this person? Well, how can I stay connected to everything they meant to me and still mean to me? Uh, how, can, how can I build a relationship with them spiritually and emotionally even now? But that's where we want to put our energy. If you're just joining us, you're listening to Conversations with Consequences on EWTN Radio. I'm your hostess, Dr. Gracie Christie, and we're talking to the one and only Dr. Gregory Popchak, <laughs> who you might know uh, from EWTN Radio's More to Life. Dr. Popchak, you mentioned in this piece that I mentioned before, you write, in, within us is the drive to be whole again, in spite of our grief. And going into Advent, and being in Advent and going into Christmas, that's, that does seem to be high on my, on my experience and my, my priority list. I, I feel that I can be whole again, I will be whole again, and, and there is this drive inside of me to make that happen. But how, how do we let that happen? I, I think by, you know, expressing that poverty of spirit that the first beatitude talks about, and going to God and saying, you know, what I don't know how to make it happen. You know, there, there's a part of me that feels like I, I, I want to be whole again, that I, I will be whole again, that you're going to make me whole again, but I have no idea what that would look like and, and how to get there. You know, mm-hmm. Please show me, show me how to respond to this. You know, that whatever this is in front of me, the feelings that I'm having right now, the people around me, the reactions I'm getting, the the experience that I'm having. Show me how to respond to this in a way that will glorify you, help me be my best self, and and, and invite those around me to be their best selves as well. Now, Christmas is often, um, probably more more than often, almost all the time, a stressful experience. The holidays, people describe them as stressful. because of all the shopping they have to do and all the plans they have to make. And a lot of that stress can be the family coming together, um, being together for extended periods of time when they're not used to that and all the different ways of seeing the world, different viewpoints. And when you add grief um, to a family, family that just, you know, many all the, all the members of the family are, are grieving the loss of a loved one, I think that that stress can be greater. Does that, does that ring true to you, Dr. Popchak? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, it, it, it erases everybody. It raises everybody's emotional temperature, um, and so it takes a, a you know thing, things that were obnoxious before are now you know they, they feel catastrophic and things mm-hmm. or major crises. You know, so so uh, you know, being aware of that is really important, and and giving extending a little extra grace to everybody around you, knowing that uh, you know it's going to be more challenging. I will say this. I mean. Um, it's helpful to, in the face of that, mm-hmm. have um, an explicit conversation with everybody that you're going to see, you know, and say, "Hey, look, you know, this holiday is going to be a little harder for all of us. We're, we're, we're going to be missing that person, and you know, it's, it's, it's going to cause us all to be a little more tense with each other. Um, what what could we do, you know, to try to make sure we're taking a little bit of care, taking care of each other, and try to be sensitive to where we where we're at? What, what do we each need to do? What do we need from each other? try to to get through this together you know and just you know sometimes people will say well i don't know but but it's asking the question you know it puts everybody else in a different frame of mind you know but but other times you're able to come up with some things that, that need to happen to to make the whole experience better so you know just just talking with all the people that are involved in the experience about what you can do to take better care of each other and, and make it a, a better experience for you uh, is a really important thing. Well, Dr. Popchak, your words have meant a lot to me today. Um, I feel sort of guilty. I should have probably just called in for a counseling session and not <laughs> not have everyone listening in. But I know that many of our listeners are likewise um, carrying a sorrow with them into Christmas. Uh, it's it's a very it's a very common very common thing and uh, for all of us. So I hope our listeners are also touched and and helped like I have been. And thank you for your time as always. To our listeners, don't forget to catch uh, More to Life with Dr. Greg and Lisa Popchak on EWTN Radio every day at 10 a.m. And Dr. Popchak, I wish you and your family a very blessed rest of Advent and Christmas season.
Thank you, and you as well. And if folks would like to learn more about the practice, they can go to catholiccounselors.com. And now, Father Roger Landry offers us, as is customary, a short and inspiring homily to prepare us for this Sunday's Gospel. This is Father Roger Landry, and it's a joy to have a chance to ponder with you the consequential conversation God wants to have with us this Sunday. So we enter into the dialogue the angel of God had with Joseph after Joseph discovered that Mary was pregnant. Appearing to him in a dream, the angel told him, Joseph, son of David, don't be afraid to take Mary, your wife, into your home. For it is through the Holy Spirit that this child has been conceived in her. Joseph was indeed afraid. Some commentators have piously stated that he was afraid because he knew Mary must have conceived miraculously and didn't consider himself worthy to be associated with the unfolding of such a mystery. Many others, myself included, think that Joseph was afraid rather because he loved and totally reverenced Mary and couldn't understand how she would have become pregnant except in a natural way with someone else, and hence his desire to divorce her quietly rather than allow her to be stoned to death so she would be able to be with whoever the father was. That's why the angel needed to say, for it is through the Holy Spirit that this child has been conceived in her. The angel wasn't reiterating what St. Joseph somehow already knew, but giving him new information about how Mary was now with child. And we see at the end of the text that when Joseph awoke, he did as the angel of the Lord had commanded him and took his wife into his home. The church gives us this gospel on the fourth Sunday of Advent in preparation for the birth of Christ, not just because it historically preceded the birth of Jesus, but so that we too will not be afraid to take Mary and her son into our home, into our life, now, at Christmas and beyond. Even when we know Jesus' origin and have no doubt whatsoever about Mary's sinlessness, many of us can still be afraid to do so. We can think we're unworthy. We can be concerned that if we receive Christ as Mother and St. Joseph into our life, we'll be out of our element. We won't know how to behave. We'll lose our personality and distinctiveness. But the opposite is true. Christ came so that we might have life and have it to the full. Mary will love us with the love she had for her son. And that love will help to purify us of whatever disappointment or even hatred we have for ourselves. St. Joseph will protect us and provide for us like he did for the Holy Family. But we have to confront that fear, the fear that can impact even the greatest of saints. The rest of the Gospel shows us how to relate to Jesus, whom we're called to receive with his mother into our homes. It has to do with the two names by which the Gospel passage tells us we're called to relate to him. In human life, we know it's difficult to have a meaningful conversation when we don't know the name of the person with whom we're speaking. It's similar with God. God doesn't want us trying to converse with him as some type of cosmic higher power or generic force. Throughout salvation history, we see him revealing his name. He reveals himself to Moses as Yahweh, I am who am, and further identified himself as the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, showing he wants to have a personal relationship with each of us. In the Sunday's Gospel of the appearance of the angel of St. Joseph, we see revealed the names with which Jesus wants us to relate to him as we welcome him and as we allow him to grow within us, as we ground our relationship with him on what he seeks to do in us. The first name is Emmanuel. Throughout the Advent season, we're singing, O come, O come, Emmanuel. We need to know what we're praying. The Gospel tells us all this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall name him Emmanuel, which means God is with us. That phrase goes back to a prophecy in the book of Isaiah that the church will hear in this Sunday's first reading. Isaiah the prophet went to see King Ahaz of Judah during the time when the capital of Judah, Jerusalem, was being sieged by the kingdoms of Israel in Syria. Ahaz was about to make an alliance with the brutal kingdom of Assyria, not the same as Syria, to liberate Jerusalem. Isaiah went to Ahaz to tell him not to seal that alliance, but have more trust in God than in the king of Assyria. Isaiah told him that God would give him this sign, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall name him Emmanuel. Regardless, Ahaz rejected the sign, ignored God's counsel through the prophet, and formed the alliance with the king of Assyria, a cascade of bad choices that eventually would lead to the destruction of Jerusalem and the exile. The true and definitive fulfillment of the sign given to Ahaz, however, we see in the Gospel, seven centuries later, in the miraculous events of Jesus' conception and birth. Jews pondering Isaiah's words through the century would have interpreted that they meant 
that a young woman making love for the first time, a virgin, would conceive, and that child would be a sign of God's presence among them. They never anticipated that God would literally fulfill that prophecy in two ways. That a virgin would conceive a child and remain a virgin, and that God with us would actually be God with us. That God would take on our nature and come to abide with us. The fulfillment of this prophecy would not just be a sign that God was on their side, but the reality that God would in fact be physically present with them. The fulfillment would make the sign announced by Isaiah a sign for all times, an enduring sign reminding us that even when we're experiencing tremendous human difficulty like Ahaz was, God really is with us. Jesus, of course, remains with us in many ways, through creation, through grace, through sacred scripture, through his image and others, through those he's ordained to act in his very person, through his mystical body, the church. But there's one way above all others by which Christ remains with us, something we're called to ponder more deeply during the three-year Eucharistic revival the church in the U.S. is living. Jesus is truly and substantially present for us in his body and blood. The Eucharist is Emmanuel, God with us. The same Jesus who was in Mary's womb, we receive in our bodies at Holy Communion. The angel reminds us this Sunday not to be afraid to receive Emmanuel within us, but to receive him in such a way like Mary that we will allow him to grow so that we may magnify the Lord, rejoice in God our Savior, and share him with others. But Jesus' presence has a purpose. That leads us to the second name of the Son of God that we need to ponder. God with us doesn't come among us to leave us where he finds us. He was born so that we might be reborn and live a new life with him. This is attested to in the name the angel tells St. Joseph to give to the Son of Mary. You are to name him Jesus. This name, Jesus, the Greek transliteration of the Hebrew Yeshua or Joshua, means God saves. And the angel tells Joseph quite clearly what God through these infant will save the Jews from. He will save his people from their sins. God is with us, therefore, for the purpose of saving us from our sins. Note that the angel doesn't say save his people from the consequence of their sins, but from their sins. He wants to save us from sin, to separate us from sin, to make a life of holiness with God possible. Note, too, that both names are present tense. Manuel means God is with us, not God was with us. Jesus means God saves, not God saved. Not only does the name Jesus interpret the name Emmanuel, but the name Jesus also makes possible Emmanuel, because Jesus is saving us from our sins so that we could be much more fully with him who came to be with us. Just like the name Emmanuel, by which the Son of God wishes us to relate leads us to the Eucharist he founded on Holy Thursday. So the name Jesus leads us to the sacrament of confession he founded on Easter Sunday night. Our appreciation for Jesus coming into the world is directly dependent on whether we realize we need him, that we're sinners in need of a savior, and whether we come to receive the medicine of his mercy and the sacrament he established to do so. That's why throughout Advent we've been hearing St. John the Baptist call us to make straight the paths for Christ to come, for the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world to take away our sins. As we prepare for Christmas, we should be focused above all on the gift we hope to give to the divine birthday boy, what he most wants. He took on our humanity to save us from our sins, and therefore let's give him what he wants through the best confession of our life this Advent, cleaning our soul so that we might better receive him. As we prepare for Mass this Sunday, let's not be afraid to relate to God as he indicates. The Lord has given us something far greater than the sign he gave Ahaz. He's given us sacraments, efficacious signs he instituted, to bring about what the signs indicate. God's presence with us in all our difficulties in the Eucharist, and God's saving us from our sins in confession. He wants us to receive the two great gifts corresponding to his, his two names, the gift of his presence in the Holy Eucharist, Emmanuel, God with us, the gift of his saving forgiveness in the sacrament of penance and reconciliation, Jesus God saves. Living these two sacraments well will help us to experience the meaning and enduring reality of Christmas. And so we say, O come, O come, Emmanuel. O come, O come, Lord Jesus. God bless you. Thank you, Father Landry. To hear more from Father Landry, check out his website at catholicpreaching.com. And you can also catch his writings at EWTN's own National Catholic Register. A big thank you to all our listeners for joining us. I hope that this show was helpful. I hope that it gave you more peace and more hope and more joy. And you go with our prayers. 